Welcome back to the listener's commentary on 1 Corinthians. Before we jump into the material for this session, I just want to extend a genuine and heartfelt thank you to those of you who make this ministry possible. We've had a number of first-time donors, supporters uh, over the last couple of months, some giving one-time gifts, some setting up new recurring gifts. Obviously, we have a whole host of long-time supporters, and this ministry, the listener's commentary, is only possible because of your generosity and your heart for God's work. So thanks a ton for your support. Deeply appreciated, not only by me, but by those that this ministry impacts all around the world. So thanks a ton. In this session, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. And this paragraph, 17 through 24, is that center portion of chapter 7, that illustrates uh, really Paul's key rationale for the instructions that he's giving in the first half of this chapter and the second half of this chapter. And so what Paul says here looks backwards to what he's already said in chapter 7, 1 through 16, and it also is going to look forward to what he's going to say in chapter 7, 25 through the end of the chapter. And so far in this chapter, he's discussed several topics connected to marriage and sexuality. Uh, He's talked about sex within marriage. He's talked about widowhood, divorce between believers. He's talked about being married to pagans. And what it seems like when you read this whole chapter in context is, it seems that there are some in the Corinthian church, at least a few, and maybe a vocal few who are stirring up trouble, who seem to think that sex, even in marriage, is like less spiritual. It's not good. And singleness is actually the more spiritual state than marriage. And he started this chapter with what appears to be a slogan from the Corinthians that sort of summarizes what's stirring up trouble for them in this area of sexuality and marriage. And that slogan is, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. And that idea has led to the questions and the topics that Paul is addressing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And he has one more main topic that he's going to address in the last little bit of the chapter. Another topic that's been affected by this false understanding of sex and sexuality and marriage. And that topic has to do with young betrothed people. But before he addresses that topic, Paul pauses here in 17 through 24 to really state what is his rationale for the kind of advice that he's giving in this chapter. What lies behind his counsel in this chapter? And so uh, verses 17 through 24 here gives that rationale. And the key idea of those verses is this, that changing your social status doesn't change your spiritual status. Like conversion to Jesus, conversion to the Lord already changed that, already changed your spiritual status. And so a person doesn't need to change their social standing or their social station in life to deepen their spiritual status. Like changing your social status, marriage, circumcision, slavery, that doesn't make you more spiritual. 
Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, whether you're slave or free, whether you're married or unmarried, those things don't really matter that much as far as your relationship with God is concerned, your holiness and your spiritual status is concerned. What matters for that is God's call and being a part of Christ and keeping God's commands. That's what really matters for your spiritual status and your holiness. And so that's the main rationale lying behind Paul. Paul's advice and counsel in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so he's going to explore and explain all that here in 7, 17 through 24. And so, as we noted, apparently some in the church thought being unmarried was more spiritual than being married. And if you were married, then you should at least abstain from sex within marriage because that was more spiritual too. Now, in our culture, at least in my culture here in the States and a lot of Western European countries, we've tended to go the other direction and think that being married is sort of the the more spiritual status, at least a sort of a default assumption. And then we tend to think that a nice Christian boy like that or a nice Christian girl like that will get married someday and have a family. And then when they don't, we kind of assume that something went wrong, right? So we kind of assume that that's, that's the more spiritual sort of thing. Uh, but Paul's point here in this section, whether it's the Corinthians issue or our issue, Paul's point is, no, your social status does not determine or equal your spiritual status. And that's why, as we'll see here in this section, and really we've already seen in the preceding paragraphs, we'll see in the following paragraph, what we'll see in chapter 7 is Paul kind of shrugs at some of this stuff. Like, it's just not that big of a deal. If you're married to an unbeliever, stay married. But if they want to leave, well, let them leave. He'll say here in this section, well, if you're a slave, don't try to get your freedom. It's not going to make you more spiritual. In Christ, you're already the Lord's freedman. But hey... If you can get your freedom, go for it. Or if you think you should stay single, then go for it. But if you're not cut out for it and it's too hard and you decide to get married, then marry because you haven't sinned. And so Paul seems to be almost kind of shrugging at some of these issues because uh, they just really aren't critical to your spiritual status. They're not that big of a deal. So what Paul does here in 7, 17 through 24 is he gives a basic general principle. And that principle is remain as you are. Like in whatever state you are, when you come to faith in Jesus, uh, remain there because your relationship with God isn't determined by your social state. But it's a principle that Paul holds loosely and with some flexibility. It's not a hard and fast law. What really matters in life is your walk with God and your relationship with him, not your social standing. And so Paul states the the principle initially in verse 17, and then he gives two examples from other areas of life that were common in their culture to illustrate the principle, to help them understand this and see this. And and then he's going to jump into the final topic in this chapter and really apply this principle to that topic as well. So here we have 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 says, only, following up after the last one, only as the Lord assigned to each one, 
as God has called each, in this way, let him walk. And that idea of walk is carry out your life. It became a very common metaphor in the ancient world for going about your life. So that was how you got from place to place. That literally was how you went about your life, was you would walk from your house to the market, from the market to the public bath, from the public bath back to your house, right? That's how you went anywhere. So to walk is to go about your life. So as the Lord assigned to each one, as God called each one, in that way, let him go about his life, let him walk, Paul says, so I direct in all the churches. This is my general advice in every church I start. Now, just to be perfectly clear, Paul means this, remain in this way, right? Walk in the way you were called. Paul means this regarding their station in life as the following examples and really the overall context of chapter 7 shows. His point is that as a general rule, Don't try to change your social station in life thinking that somehow that's crucial to your relationship with God. Thinking that somehow um, you'll be closer to God and more spiritual if if you could just get married or if you could just be single or if you could just... uh, not be a slave or whatever it is, right? Um, That's his point. Don't try to change your social station in life thinking that somehow that's going to improve your relationship with God. God's call, when he says, as God has called each, right? God's call refers to the call through the gospel to come to Christ. So it's a way to refer to each person's life station at the time of their conversion. And in the examples that follow... Paul gives circumcision and uncircumcision as a life station. He gives slave or free as a life station. If that was your situation when God called you to himself, don't feel like you have to change that in order to be more spiritual. In the overall context of the chapter, it's whether you're married or not, and even who you're married to. Whatever that situation was when you became a Christian, don't feel like you have to change that in order to be more holy. Now, one other phrase here in verse 17 uh, that we should at least mention is the opening phrase, as the Lord has assigned each one. Uh, That phrase is unspecified, and so it really raises the question, what did the Lord assign? Some say it refers to the circumstances of life. That's what he assigned. Uh, He's sovereign over that. Others say it refers to the gift to live in those circumstances, as Paul pointed out in verse 7 up above, where he talked about, Hey, if you're single or you're a widow and the Lord ha- and you want to remain single, great. But if it's too hard, well, then go ahead and get married because uh, God has gifted each person to deal with their circumstances appropriately. So some say it's that grace gift that God gives each person. And both make sense and it's unspecified. And I'm sort of like, maybe we don't need to force a decision between those two. Paul clearly believes that living out your station in life can be called a gift, as verse 7 indicates. But he also gives us the freedom to choose what what station we're going to be in. He even mentions that in verse 7, where he refers to it as a gift. He's going to mention it down below in verse 36. Hey, if you marry, it's not a sin. You have freedom to choose in these things with regard to your station of life. So I think maybe it's best that we just leave it unspecified as Paul does and just figure that when it says, as the Lord assigned to each, what Paul means by that is the Lord's sovereign over your life and your circumstances and your station in life and the opportunities that come your way. And he gives you the grace to live in those things and sort all that out. And so just arrange your life under the sovereign oversight of the Lord. 
So the general principle is whatever station you were at in life, social station, when you came to Christ, don't strive to change that, thinking that somehow it'll make you more spiritual or more holy if you do. Remain where you are. That's the general principle. And then what Paul does in the rest of this section here is he gives two different examples. The first one is circumcision. Look at verse 18. He says, was any man called, we've already talked about what that call is, called to faith in Christ through the gospel. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? Well, he's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in uncircumcision? Well, then he doesn't need to be circumcised. Circumcision was crucial to Jewish identity. And so when it says, was anyone called in circumcision, that's referring to Jews and maybe some Gentiles who fully converted to Judaism and got circumcised. So, so that's those that have Jewish identity. Uncircumcised refers to Gentiles. And it's not a minor deal. It's especially to the Jews. It was a key boundary marker of who was in and who was out of the Jewish people. And that's why the entire like Jerusalem conference occurred in Acts chapter 15. And Paul has argued at length in other places in his letters that in Christ, it doesn't really matter. He's actually going to mention that in the next verse down below. And that's why Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians. In Christ, that doesn't determine who's in and who's out. And it doesn't determine your standing with God and his people. Circumcision is really no big deal. And so Paul's point is that your relationship with God and your place in his family isn't affected by circumcision or uncircumcision. And so there's no need to worry about changing that. And he emphasizes this in verse 19 when he says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Now, he doesn't mean that in the absolute sense, right? Paul, for a, a, a Jew, this is important. He knows that. But as far as your relationship with God is concerned, as far as your membership in God's family is concerned, circumcision really doesn't mean anything. Neither does uncircumcision. What matters, he says in verse 19, is the keeping of the commandments of God. That's the key thing. And so when you became a, a Christian, were you circumcised? Don't undo that. Were you uncircumcised? Don't worry about getting circumcised. Not a big deal as far as your spirituality and your relationship with God goes. And then he states the principle in verse 20. Each person is to remain in that state in which he was called. Since your relationship with God and membership in his family isn't affected by circumcision or uncircumcision, whatever state you were in at the time of your conversion and came to faith in Christ, just remain in that state, circumcised or uncircumcised. Then he gives a second example in verse 21. He says, were you called as a slave? Don't let it concern you. And so the second example is slavery or freedom. And slavery was everywhere present in the Roman world. In fact, some estimates put it at about 20 to 25% of the empire at any given time was in the state of slavery. And slavery uh, wasn't a racial thing. It was an equal opportunity venture, right? You could end up in it because of bad financial dealings. You could be born into it. There's a whole lot of ways you could end up a slave. And it was just everywhere present. They were Slaves were part of many, if not most, households, which is why the New Testament writers just mention it so often. It's just everywhere present. And here, Paul actually implicitly dignifies the slave by acknowledging him or her as a real person who has the ability to think and to feel and to choose. 
this wasn't typically the case in the writings of the period. Everyone knew slaves existed, but slaves typically weren't addressed in writings. The master was addressed and told what to do to their slaves. Slaves were sort of in the background, right? And the master was the one who actually had the agency and the dignity to be addressed in the writings, but not for Paul. Paul addresses them here and in other places in his writings, which is a way of implicitly dignifying their personhood and value. And what he says to the slaves are, don't let it concern you. If you, were, if you became a believer and you were a slave, don't let it concern you. And again, just like with circumcision up above, he doesn't mean this in the absolute sense. We'll actually see that in um, what, what he says next. When he says, don't let it concern you, got to remember the context and the point of bringing this up. And it's an illustration of this principle that he's, he's wanting to apply to marriage. And that principle is, generally speaking, remain in whatever station you were in when you became a believer because your holiness and your relationship with God is defined by Christ, not by your life situation. So don't be too concerned about your station, even if that station is slavery. And as we keep reading what follows, we'll see what Paul has in mind in more detail by telling him not to let it concern you. So here's what he says. He says, were you called as a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you're able to become free, take advantage of that. So don't let it concern you. Don't worry about it. Don't strive about it. Don't stress about it too much. But if you can become free, do that. Again, shows us this looseness of this principle. And the process of becoming free was well known in the Roman Empire. It was called manumission. In the Roman Empire, slaves could actually save up enough money and property to buy their own freedom. Their master had to agree to it, but it wasn't uncommon for that to happen. And so Paul is saying, look, be content with your situation as a slave, knowing that your relationship with God is the key thing. But if the opportunity arises where you can acquire your freedom and you want to do that, then it's fine to do that. Many slaves actually had that opportunity, but chose to continue working, maybe as an employee even, of their master because their masters were good to them and it provided good employment for them. And so Paul's basically saying, look, don't concern yourself too much about that um, as a general rule, but if you can get your freedom, do it. Then Paul gives the rationale for his thinking on, on this advice to slaves. And his rationale is this. The reason not to concern yourself too much about it is your identity comes from the Lord, not your social station in life. Look at verse 22. He says, for the one who was called in the Lord as a slave, he's the Lord's freed person. Likewise, the one who was called as a freeman, well, he's Christ's slave. And so your identity is determined by your relationship to the Lord not by your social standing in life. That's why he says, don't let it bother you too much, but if you can get your freedom, do it. All right? It's just, again, just like with circumcision, it's not that crucial to your value and your honor and your worth, particularly as it is in God's family. And so he says, in the Lord, you're a free person, or in the Lord, you're like a slave. Verse 23 because you were bought for a price, don't, do not become slaves of people. And Paul actually already stated something very similar a moment ago in chapter 6, 19 through 20, when he says, don't you know that you've been bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. So he says here, you, you've been bought, you belong to the Lord. So don't be slaves of people. 
as if people are the ones that gives you your identity, if people are the ones that define your holiness or your value, your true station in life is actually defined by the Lord. And so he ends this section by restating the general principle that he's illustrating. Verse 24, brothers and sisters, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. This is the general principle. And remember, in context, this is the general principle that really underlies all of Paul's counsel and advice in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And that general principle is remain with God in whatever condition you were in, whatever social standing or status you had when you were called. Notice here, it's stated slightly different than above which helps us hear more fully what Paul is saying. He says, remain with God. Literally, remain at God's side. Remain beside God. That's literally what he says. And it's that relationship, your alongside God relationship, that defines your value and your identity, not your social station in life, um, right? Not your situation. It's your relationship with God. And your social station in life doesn't determine your relationship with God. God's call through the gospel in Christ determines that. So whether it's circumcision or uncircumcision, or whether it's slavery or freedom, whether it's marriage or singleness, any and all of those situations can be holy and pleasing to God. So generally speaking, remain where you are. Now, it's really important to realize and pay attention to the fact that this is a general guideline for Paul not a set-in-stone rule. There are exceptions. Uh, There is some freedom with this principle. We've already seen some of that in chapter 7. If you're married to a pagan unbeliever and he chooses to leave, well, you're not bound. Or remain a widow. Unless it's too hard and you can't control yourself, well, then feel free to get married. Or, as he just said up above, if you're a slave but you have the chance to buy your freedom, Well, then feel free to do that. Uh, And so there are exceptions. We'll see this below in the next section about young betrothed people. If you decide that you want to give yourself over full time to the Lord and you, you want to end your betrothal, great, do that. But if you find, no, that's too hard and my sex drive is too strong and I really want to get married, get married. And that's not a sin. So this is a general principle not a set-in-stone rule that is guiding kind of Paul's advice in this chapter. We even see the issue of circumcision and how Paul handles this loosely in his ministry. Timothy was uncircumcised. Paul wanted him to travel with him in ministry. And so he takes Timothy and circumcises him, right? So this is not a hard and fast rule for Paul. It's a general guideline to be held loosely and applied wisely. And I think the key thing for us to pay attention to here is the rationale for it. When it comes to holiness and spirituality, your relationship with God trumps your social station in life. When it comes to holiness and spirituality, keeping God's commands and remaining with God at his side, that's the most important thing. Not your circumstances, not your social station, not your situation. And in a highly stratified a highly socially stratified culture like ancient Corinth, this too is good news. Like in God's family, whatever the social station you have in the world really doesn't matter when it comes to your honor and your value and your identity and your worth. 
And in their culture, where your honor and your value and your identity was determined by your social status and the group you were a part of, man, this is good news. Uh, Paul says your value and your worth are determined by the Lord. So don't get too bothered by your situation in life. Don't get too bothered by your social standing. Remain right there at God's side.